By way of introduction, I'm Dave Rogers. <laughs> Some of you don't know who I am, and I don't know who most of you are. So let me give just a brief explanation. I'm John's dad. Uh, John and Mindy aren't here today, but uh, I'm John's dad. Uh, this is kind of a weird dynamic for me. Uh, when John was a kid growing up, wherever I was pastoring, he was always known as Dave's kid. And so now, here I am, I'm John's dad. <laughs> and so, it's an honor to be with you today, and uh, I hope that uh, what I've come to share will minister to your heart and will challenge you in your thinking. I want to thank Pastor John uh, for the opportunity to share with you, and uh, I look forward to what the Lord has in store for, you, for us. I'm a retired pastor, and for those of you who know anything about retired pastors, they love an opportunity to share, but I promise you that I am not going to unload all of my repressed sermons in one. And so I'm going to be sensitive to your time today, the constraints that are upon us, and uh, I know the Lord is able to speak to us, whether I'm long or brief. So let's look at the, what the Lord has in store for us today. There's a scripture that I want to share with you as we begin. It's found in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. The occasion is the transfiguration of Jesus. And on this occasion, as the glory of the Lord settled upon his son, the glory of the Father descended down upon his son, and he was transfigured in the presence of Peter, James, and John, a voice from heaven was heard saying these things, this is my beloved son, listen to him. I want that to be our launch point today into what is a very challenging sermon. It's a challenging Sunday for most pastors. There are two Sundays in particular on the church calendar that are difficult, Mother's Day and Father's Day. Because if you are an, a pastor who likes to theme the service and speak on a particular theme on that day, you understand that you are almost immediately speaking to only 50% of the congregation. And the other 50% think, this doesn't apply to me, and they tend to check out. Now, when I was a kid growing up, before I was a father, whenever Father's Day sermon came around, I would sit and I would read my Sunday school paper during the service. I understand today there's a whole different dynamic, and there may be a temptation to play a little solitaire, check out your Facebook feed and everything. I want to just gather you all in here just for a moment if I can because I want to speak to everybody, not just the fathers today. Even though it's Father's Day, the principles that I want to share with you are applicable to everyone. I want to challenge you as parents or as potential parents to be the very best parent that you can be. Just because you have the ability to reproduce does not make you a good parent. Good parenting is the result of implementing 
biblical principles into the family dynamic and modeling them on a consistent basis. Now, some of you who are not male by birth are challenged with the responsibility of being both parents to your children by circumstance. It may not be something that was planned, anticipated, or even uh, looked at with any expectation, but suddenly you find yourself filling both the parental roles of mother and father. And my heart goes out to you today because that's a tremendous challenge. I, I understand that. And yet what I'm sharing today is, is applicable to all of us. I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you today. And so what I would like to have us today do is this. Learn some lessons from the Scripture about what the father is in relationship to his children. In order to draw from these or from the scripture, these lessons, I want us to look at, at three things. The first thing I want us to look at is the story of the prodigal son. How many of you are familiar with that? Good, I'm not going to spend too much time laying a lot of groundwork regarding the prodigal son. It's found in Luke chapter 15. You can read about it as uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. But what I would like to have us do today is focus on the Father and draw some understanding from his uh, response and from what we see in the Scripture about him. The Son is always the focus when we talk about the prodigal son. I don't know about you, but when I read the story of the prodigal son, it reads like my own personal story. But I want us to look at the Father today because he's the most important to us. And we see some characteristics there that we can incorporate into our own lives. The first thing we understand about the Father is that he was successful. Now, success is a subjective thing. The measure of success is subjective as well. Our society may measure success based upon the size of one's uh, financial portfolio or the number of, of properties that they hold or the size of their bank account or, or whatever. That would be success in the United States of America. But success elsewhere around the world may be defined much differently. And so I don't want us to be hung up on this word success. success. But just understand this, that as we look at the scripture and we see the father of the, the prodigal son, we find that success is defined for him in the following terms. He had wealth. He had land. He had herds. And he had servants. We know this from the prodigal son and his response as he reflected upon his father's house as he came to the end of his journey. And so we could look at the father as being a success. Fathers, parents, I want to challenge you today to do the best you can with the abilities you have, the opportunities that you were presented to be the very best that you can be. 
Don't fall into the trap of measuring your success based upon your neighbor's success. You take the gifts that God has given you, you take the opportunities that are afforded you, and be everything you can be with God's help. That's success. As a pastor, I always measured success not by the size of my congregation, not by the size of the annual budget, not by the beauty of the physical uh, facility that we worshiped in. I measured my success on this. How is it with my family and their relationship with Jesus Christ? And I have always said, I pastor a congregation of four. Myself, my wife, and my two children. Well, that congregation has grown in size over the years as grandchildren have come into the equation and as spouses or or mates uh, to my sons have, have come into the equation. But at the end of my journey, my greatest goal is to present my family to the Father. Here we are, Lord. We did the best we could do with what we had and the opportunities afforded us. The prodigal's father was successful. Secondly, as we look at the father, we find this. He was a caring and kind individual. When the prodigal came to the end of himself and he began to reflect back on the father's house, he said to himself, you know what, I'm going to get up out of this pig pen and I'm going to go back to dad's. And I know that I've blown it and I don't even deserve to be his son, but his servants are taken care of better than I'm being taken care of here. And we see that he was one who provided for his staff. Those who were in his employment were taken care of. They were compensated. They were loyal. They were devoted. And that was the reflection of a caring and compassionate father. Fathers, it's easy for us to become distracted in the pursuit of life. Never lose sight of an opportunity to pour a little bit of love into your children. Don't be so busy that you don't have time at the end of the day to tuck them in, to hear their prayers, to give them a hug, to tell them that you love them, to encourage them, to take an interest in their life. It pays rich dividends. This son came to the end of his self, and he said, you know what? Dad's a caring and kind dad. I want to go home. Thirdly, we find that he was a committed father. Many parents, some here today perhaps, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know you so I can speak this with confidence. You know the heartbreak of parenting. You know the heartbreak of disappointment. When your children make a decision that leads to disaster in their life. You know, as parents, we... we want to shepherd them. We want to nurture them. And I can remember as a young parent, uh, when my children were little preschool children, we were the major influence in their life. And I can remember walking into a drugstore with my wife, and, and we love to go in and read cards, you know, and, and it's, 
I, I love a good humorous card, birthday cards. And so when I'm in a, a store, I always pick up the cards. Now, I'm not like one of my friends who is so cheap that he takes his wife in there and he looks at a card and he says, if I were going to buy you a card, this is it. And she reads it, folds it, puts it back on the shelf, and they go out. No, I buy the funny ones. But on this particular occasion, I picked up a calendar, and I was looking through the beautiful pictures on the calendar, and I came to the month of September, and it showed a little curly-haired boy with a backpack and a lunchbox walking toward the bus. And the little saying on it said, yesterday I looked at my son and thought, how tall? But today as he goes toward the bus, I think, how small? You come to that moment in time where you release them. And others are going to be speaking into their life. Others are going to be putting their imprint on their hearts and on their minds and on their spirits. And you realize, wow. This is an awesome responsibility, and I hope that I've laid a good foundation. I hope that all is well. But sometimes when the children get out there, they make decisions that are contrary to the manner in which they've been brought up. We know the prodigal did that. But as we read the story of the prodigal, we see a father who is committed, not just to the son who stayed home, but he's committed to his children because the Bible tells us that he saw his son coming at a great distance. You know what that tells me? He was looking for his son. He was looking. Will this be the day that they call? Will this be the day that the, the break in the relationship can be repaired? Will this be the day that reconciliation can begin? Will this be the day? And he was looking. Can you imagine the joy of his heart when in the distance he saw that broken form of his son? The Bible says that he went and embraced him. He was committed to his children, to his family. Oh, parents, fathers, be committed to them. Don't throw them under the bus of convenience. Don't throw them under the bus of what is expedient in the moment, but have the long view in sight. There's a goal that is out there. There's a target to be struck. Stay on task. We find that the Father was also forgiving. I can't tell you how important this is. He was forgiving. Now, maybe your child hasn't taken your heart and crushed it underfoot. But let me ask you, Dad, how many of you have ever gone to the toolbox and found that that one tool that you needed, that one maybe that had been passed down to you from your dad, was missing? I'll tell you what, I lost a whole toolbox somewhere along the line. One at a time. One day I said to John, I said, John, Justin, that's his older brother, where are my sockets? Oh, 
I think they're over in Steve's backyard. Steve was their friend that lived three blocks away. And I found out my socket set had been in his backyard the entire winter, just left out. Would you be so kind as to go get my tools and bring them home, please? I need them. Now, that's a small thing. Let's understand the prodigal has taken his father's name, his reputation, his resource, his heritage, everything, and had trampled it underfoot. But what did the father do when the son came back? He forgave him. He embraced him. Then we find also that the father was fair. His fairness is revealed in his dealings with the older son who didn't go and waste is his inheritance. But he got a little bit jealous. He says, hey, Dad, he says, I didn't embarrass you. I didn't run off. I didn't waste your resource. And the father says, listen, son, my son that was lost has been found. He's come home. And we're going to have a party for that. We're going to celebrate that. But everything I have is yours anyway. It's okay. He was fair. And so... When we look at the father of the prodigal, we see a beautiful reflection of our heavenly father. And if we are going to emulate anybody in fatherhood, let it be the heavenly father. My father was the product of an abusive father. He was an alcoholic. He was not a kind man. He was not a good man. But you know what? Jesus didn't let, or dad didn't let that determine how he would parent his children. He used Christ. He used the heavenly father as an example of what fatherhood is about and did his best to model that to us. Don't allow your history to determine your future. Christ will transform you and the heavenly father will model for you the very principles that are essential to good parenting. Let's look at the father of our Lord in particular to really understand a little bit about his nature. As we look at the heavenly father, we see him on two occasions revealing himself to those who were interacting at that moment in time with Jesus. First, the baptism. As he went down into the Jordan River and John the Baptist baptized him, as he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God in the form of a dove came down from heaven, rested on his shoulder, and a voice was heard saying these things, this is my beloved son. I'm really pleased with him. King James says, in whom I'm well pleased. The Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now there are three things that are revealed to us in those moments in time that I want to challenge each of you fathers with because I believe that these are wonderful characteristics that we can bring into the family dynamic. First, the Heavenly Father gave his son identity. This is my son.
I can remember as a little boy, my father was a pastor. And at the end of the service, dad would conclude the service and they would have their time at the altar and then he would go to the back and he would greet the congregation as they left after the service. And there were times that as a boy, 9, 10, 11, 12 years of age, I just wanted to go hang out and be near dad. And I would just go and stand by him because I drew identity from him. The Father gives us identity. We are his children. Listen to what he says. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You're mine. Before you were born, I knew you. If we could number the the thoughts that the Heavenly Father has for us individually, the psalm says they are more numerous than the sands of the sea. Listen, God loves you. God's crazy about you. The prophet Zechariah says that he dances over us and rejoices over us with singing. Can you imagine the creator of heaven and earth just getting excited about you and singing a little song over you? That tickles me. That just tickles me. That makes him so personal and so real. Psalm 103 says, he has compassion on us as a father because he knows our frame. He knows we are dust because he formed us. He gives us our identity. And he said to his son, this is, or he said of his son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased. Secondly, we find he was affectionate when he said, my beloved. This is the son I love. Now, let's let's hold on to that for a moment and, and put it in context. Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his son, the son that he loves, his precious son, his only begotten son. How many of you know God the Father loves Jesus? He loves you too. He loves you so much that he allowed Jesus to endure indescribable agony as he died on the cross. Here in his love, the scripture says, not that we love God, but that God loves us and gave his son for us. If you question whether or not God loves you because you're going through an unpleasant circumstance, just remember this, Christ died for you. There is no greater demonstration of love, according to Jesus, than this, that a man lays down his life for another. And that's precisely what he did for us, isn't it? The father said, this is my beloved son. He was affectionate toward his son. Thirdly, he affirmed him. He says, I'm well pleased in him. I'm pleased with him. How many of you like to get a little affirmation every now and then? Yeah, we all like to be stroked, don't we? 
We like it when someone says, that a boy, good job. Good job. You've got a task at work and you work up the project and you make the presentation and the boss said, you knocked it out of the ballpark. You go, yeah. You have that term paper that's due at work or uh, some project, at, at, not at work, at school, and you do your best and you study and you build that little project and you take it in and the teacher says, hey, good job. Man, it just does you a world of good. Do you hear the heavenly father bragging on his son? I'm pleased in him. Fathers, affirm your children. They will look for affirmation in the world. Give it to them. Because if you don't give it to them, someone else, maybe with an alternative uh, agenda, will give them affirmation. You be the affirmer in their heart and life. And so as we look at the Father, we find that He is the revelation to us of identity, of affection, and of affirmation. Let's bring this home to where we live today. Make no mistake about it, Dad, you're a role model to your children. The lessons you impart today will profoundly affect their interaction with the world. You're an example of manhood to them. How you treat the mother of your children will influence the way your children relate to either the men or the women in their life. If you model the genuine love of Christ to them, they will respond to that. But if you model just the opposite, if you're disrespectful to your wife or to your husband, then your children will be disrespectful to the women. Or your sons will be disrespectful to the women in their life and the daughters will be disrespectful to the men. Understand, too, that you're an example of character. People looking in from the outside often only see what we allow them to see. But your children see you around the clock. They see you in your best moments. They see you at your worst. Be a consistent model, if you can, of the Heavenly Father's love. Be an example of integrity. Be an example of honesty. Be an example of loyalty and Christ-likeness. As you model the Father's love, you need to model godly discipline. Listen, we don't like discipline, do we? Hebrews chapter 12 says, Whom the Father loves, he disciplines. And if you're undisciplined, then you're being treated not as a loving child, but you're being treated as an illegitimate child. Now that's harsh, but it's a necessary dynamic of good parenting, of disciplining. There's, there's a, a dynamic that I see today that really concerns me. Parents wanting to be friends with their children. They're so concerned about being a friend that they forget that they are the parent. Friendship grows out of maturity. You are first and foremost a parent. Be a parent. Discipline. Out of the discipline grows love, respect, and friendship. Secondly, 
as I said earlier, lovingly affirm your children. Proverbs says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in frames of silver. Listen, words of affirmation are priceless in the life of your children. They may not remember the harsh criticisms that you give, but they will always remember the affirmation. And then finally, you need to give them guidance and direction. Psalm 127 says, Children are a blessing of the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full because he's like a warrior. Now, I'm a bow hunter. And there are some things that I've come to understand about hunting with a bow and an arrow. And if children are like arrows in a quiver, you need to understand that an arrow is absolutely worthless unless it's aimed. You can have a quiver full of kids, but if they're running helter-skelter all over the community undisciplined, then they need some direction. Very quickly here, and I'm a little past time, but very quickly, I can remember one time I was hunting. I'd gotten up into the tree stand that was way dark in the morning. I settled in and listened to the dawn as it began to awaken. The birds began to call. I heard a cow mooing off in the distance. I heard a car door open and slam. And the car started up and someone went to work. I heard a dog bark and I heard some scurrying in the, the leaves below me. And I looked down and saw a little squirrel. And I was looking over to this side. My bow was hanging here on the hook. And I'm there. I would stood up. I always stood up about a half hour before light so that I would be prepared if something came along. And I'm standing in the, uh, the tree stand. And I'm looking over here toward a trail, anticipating that the deer would probably be moving this way toward their bedding area from where they were feeding all night long. And I'm over here. And I'm looking. And I'm not seeing anything. And I just turned and I glanced over here and about 15 yards from me, broadside was a dandy buck. Now, how many of you are familiar with a disease called buck fever? <laughs> I have a chronic case of it. <laughs> with trembling hand, I reached up and I got my bow and I hooked my release and I quietly squared around so I could get a good angle on it and I drew the bow and I had my eye fixed on that deer and I let that arrow fly and I shot right beside the buck. Just as I let that arrow go, it dawned on me I was not looking through the sight. I was so fixated on that deer, I was just staring at it and I shot, missed. He gave me that look that all bucks give you when you miss. Ha, not your day, big boy. <laughs> and he walked away. And I stood there and I just beat myself up. How could I do that? You practice and you practice and you practice. And then you launch an arrow with no direction. But it occurred to me that that's what we as parents often do. The scripture says this. If they are arrows in our quiver... We are to train them up in the way they are to go so that when they are old, they don't depart from it. Do you know what they're saying or what the word is saying? We're to aim them. 
We are going to see the target and we are going to mark them. Every day your children are being influenced with secular values, teachings, principles. Teach them the word of God when they're little. Train them up in the things of God. Teach them to love Jesus. Model for them the very character of Christ so that they have direction in their life when the time comes. Listen, parents, school is always in session for us. The children are watching us day after day. We're imparting life-shaping direction to them. We are, we are making lessons out of daily routine that will serve them throughout their life. Now, it's a fact that we're going to make mistakes. We're not going to do it right every time. But let's do our best with God's help to be the very best parent we can be. When we blow it, teach them the lessons of humility. Seek forgiveness. Admit to error and then right the wrong. Just as we see the father of the prodigal righting the wrong. Let us take our identity not from the world. Let us take our identity from our heavenly father. Earlier I referenced this passage. But I want to read it to you today out of the message. As I close out the service or the sermon today. It's Isaiah chapter 43 verses 1 through 4. Out of the message. It says don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. This is Father God speaking to us. I've called your name, you're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in tough waters, you'll not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God. The Holy of Israel, your Savior, I paid a huge price for you, all of Egypt with rich cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade creation just for you. Listen, God loves us. Our Father loves us. And he wants us to rest in his love and his blessing Could I say a prayer over every parent and potential parent here today? I know that the challenge is great, but God's greater than the challenge. Let's pray. Father God, it is our joy today to worship you. To hear your invitation to come into my presence, you say, and sit at my feet. Come before the throne of grace with boldness that you may obtain mercy in the time of need. And so, Lord, we're here today readily admitting that this parenting thing at times is very overwhelming. Help us. Lord, you know our strengths. Fortify them. You know our weaknesses. Help us in those areas to grow and to develop. You know the challenges we face. Lord, Let your word and let your spirit work mightily in us that we can be the very best parents we can be. Help us to aim our children toward you so that they can be an influence for Christ in their world, in their community, and in their life. Most importantly, Lord, 
Let all that we do and all that we say bring glory and honor to you. And when we blow it, Lord, forgive us that Christ may be seen in us. Help us, as John the Baptist said, help us to decrease and let Christ increase in us, I pray in his name. Amen.